What's up, folks? This is episode 85 of the Happen to Your Career podcast. Did I just say what's up and folks in the same sentence? Huh. You have to host this charity night. And I was like, oh, there's, there's no way I can do that. But like compared to what my friend was going through after suffering a spinal cord injury, the challenges he was going to face, I figured it's time to get over this one. Like, it, you know, you can't kind of wuss out in that scenario. You're like, look what this guy's going through. I, I got to do it and just step up. So I kind of set about it out of fear of embarrassing myself. Hey, HTYCers. If you've been struggling to figure out work that fits you, then join our eight-day free mini course. All you have to do is text HTYC to 38470. That's HTYC to 38470, or simply visit figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. See you there. This has happened to your career. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and then make it happen. Whether you're looking to do your own thing or find your dream job, you've come to the right place. I'm Scott Barlow. I cannot wait to tell you about this one. Welcome back. By the way, this is an exciting one. This is an absolutely fun one. And our guest today, he was actually born in Dublin, and he claims, and you'll hear it, you'll hear him talk about it. He claims nobody here can understand his accent. I, I, I personally didn't have a problem with it, but apparently most people can't. So you be the judge and let us know. He actually earned a, a master's degree in business, and then shortly after that, started working with the Irish government to be able to help out startups. And then he's he's been working with startups ever since then. And though now it's through his Funny Biz conference series where he uses a comedic approach to be able to help content creators leverage the power of storytelling and comedy in improv. This is very, very cool. But really, he owes everything that he knows about comedy to a year of experimentation. And you've got to hear the story about what prompted that year of experimentation because he deep dived into comedy and it was for the purpose of public speaking because guess what? He was scared to death of public speaking, but he's not only gotten over that fear, he's become an expert in this area. And I think the really cool thing is when you listen to this interview, you are going to take away something from it because no matter whether your goal is to get your dream job, whether it's to be able to start a business, start something on the side that matters to you, every single aspect of that requires that you have the ability to tell stories or engage people in a way that makes them want to listen to you. No matter what it is, whether you're interviewing, whether you're giving a presentation, whether you are you know, doing what I do and working online, you have to have the ability to tell stories in a way that makes it entertaining for the listener, and they can get something valuable out of it at the exact same time. So that's what you're going to get to learn today. Now, here's David Nighill to take us through that. You know, when I when I shot you the message, there were like five or six different things I was really interested in talking to you about. One, because I, you know, you reached out to me and said, "Hey, you know, you might be interested in this book I'm doing," and I read it, and I get lots of those. 
honestly. But then I, you know, I read the book and I couldn't stop reading the book. And then it's like, okay, I got to reach back out to this guy and I got to help. So, cool. I, and I think if I'm not mistaken, you left the coolest testimonial that I have whatsoever as well online. I have guys on there that are like, who wrote these testimonials? People you mind warped or tricked from South Korea or North Korea. <laughs> and then they, thankfully those were the exceptions. And then I think your one is the best one or the one that people find the most useful, which was great. Well, even if they don't, I will totally take that credit. <laughs> <laughs> no, they do. They do nicely done. Yeah, I, sh- I guess when you when you write a book, it's weird. You kind of find people that people tell you might be interested in this topic, and I, I just kind of shut them off the book, not really expecting anything. Or yeah. you know, it's it's a lot of commitment to ask from people these days in an ADD world where you don't want to commit like more than five minutes to something to say, "Hey, read a book." So those who I talk might be interested, I just shut it off to them and didn't really ask anything. It's just here. Here's a book. If you like it, great. If not, no worries at all. Well, I thought it, I thought it was really cool, and obviously, you know, that's that's how we got to here. But um, you know, there's that. I want to delve into a little bit the story of how that happened, which you know, you tell some of that in your book. But yep. I've got some other questions too, and then I also want to talk a little bit about uh, books in general and what that experience was like, uh, because we've got we've got people that want to write their first book, and we've got some people that are already into writing their first book that are that are HTYCers that are listening. So I get that question pretty regularly. In fact. Yep. I just had a conversation with uh, Tom Morcus, uh, kind of about the the same type of thing. So yep. I, I know you know Tom. So I do indeed. Yeah, a good man and a good source of wisdom on all things uh, book related. Yeah. By the way, Tom Morcus is going to join Scott on the podcast in just two weeks to talk some more about that. And then the other thing, I am just I'm super curious about. Um, you know, you've you've transitioned this. Uh, terrifying experience of public speaking into now <laughs> stand-up comedy slash conferences slash i don't know 15 other things that uh, that kind of fall into play so i'm really interested to talk about that yeah whole it, i mean it wasn't the best plan i ever had i'll tell you that <laughs> <laughs> like scared of public speaking great let's make sure we do more of this i was like god this is the worst scenario ever um but it, it's been cool uh, it's, been, it's definitely been a trip Let's start with your story then, because you know you were you were you had a you know you had a fairly flexible job as far as as far as jobs go, but you were working in corporate, and you know you decided, hey, this is not really necessarily what I want to be doing long term. And then you know, fast forward, um, you know, years, and at this point now you've got uh, you've got funny biz and all this stuff. So so how did it actually start? How did how did it? Yeah, where did where did we start at? Where do we start? Well, I guess, yeah, I, I, my friends, I definitely had a job that was the envy of my friends. So I got to travel around the world a bit and nobody really knew where I was. And I worked for like a 45,000 person company, but I only really report to the CEO and he wasn't really keeping track of me a whole lot. So I think at one stage I was in Bolivia for a month and nobody even noticed I was gone, <laughs> which was the kind of the ideal job. But I worked as a troubleshooter across all the company and it was ideal, but it just wasn't as fulfilling as I wanted it to be. So I left and I was taking a period of time where I was just looking at different opportunities. I knew I wanted to start something. And during that period of time, a friend of mine suffered a spinal cord injury. Uh, and unfortunately, the severity of the injury is insurance company wouldn't cover a lot of the recovery process. So we were doing a series of fundraisers for him. And we'd done three or four already. And I had the idea because I lived next to a pretty famous touring comedian back in the days, as luck would have it, to do a comedy show. 
And my American friends had never seen the crumbling mess of sweaty jelly that I turned into public speaking that all my friends in Ireland knew only too well because they'd been laughing at it all through college and university uh, and work. So my American friends were like, oh, you have to host this charity night. And I was like, oh, there's, there's no way I can do that. But like compared to what my friend was going through after suffering a spinal cord injury, the challenges he was going to face, I figured it's time to get over this one. Like, it, you know, you can't kind of wuss out in that scenario. You're like, look what this guy's going through. I, I got to do it and just step up. So I kind of said about it out of fear of embarrassing myself, really, to try and figure everything I could around public speaking. And my theory was kind of along the lines of Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 Hours to Make a Master, that without doubt, comedians are the experts when it comes to time on stage, yeah. public speaking, and kind of taking people through a range of emotions. Um, so I wanted to find out everything I could about stand-up comedy and public speaking. So I got thrown in a bit at the deep end. A friend of mine told a few creative lies and got me onto a comedy show as a paid comedian to do a 20-minute set. I have never been on stage anywhere before, uh, which was ever so slightly nerve-wracking. Um, but, you know, it wasn't too bad and with, with the preparation I'd put into it. I really wanted to apply the 80-20 principle to to public speaking. And in saying that, it's identify the elements that comedians were doing. It looked like naturally, but they were actually learning over time. And I really believed that, that the comedy within it was a skill. And if it was a skill, it could be learned. So yeah, I hosted the event. It went really, really well. So much so that the main comedian asked me to open for him in a number of clubs. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to keep this wacky experiment going for a year, very much in the style of AJ Jacobs or kind of Tim Ferriss trying to get deep into one topic and explain it. And I was like, if I can help other people like me uh, along the way, well, you know, so be it. Then it would be a worthwhile experiment. So that's what I did. Then was born the fake comedian Irish Dave, uh, very famous in Ireland, not really, and lagging <laughs> his way onto all sorts of shows in America. So I did all sorts of stand-up shows for a year. I did a lot of storytelling events for a year and pretty much as, as much public speaking as I could. Okay, let me back you way up because you've told that story before uh, a few different places and you also tell it in your book too and you get us the really great overview. But I'm curious like where all that starts. Uh, first of all, how, how did your friend that had the spinal cord injury, how, how did you meet him? Uh, we were training for a half Ironman. So a few of us had signed up or had put on the calendar we were going to do. And so I met him to a, a mutual Irish friend here. And we'd started training together. And yet this guy was a machine. Like we'd go on a long run and then he'd go off and play a, foot, a soccer match afterwards. Like no problem That's... at all on the same day when the rest of us were glued to the couch. Yeah. Um, so you could see this fellow was not your average person. Like he had a drive and a will and a determination that was, that was I haven't seen in many people. So of all the people that you taught who suffered an injury like this, that probably had the strength and the tools they need and already an inbuilt motivation to recover, uh, he was the guy. So for some reason, I, I kind of I got, definitely got drawn to him a lot. But then our stories kind of became intertwined. I actually suffered an accident myself, and I was in hospital for seven days and came pretty close to losing my knee. And he was meant to visit me on the Sunday that I got out of hospital and he didn't show up, which I thought was really weird. And it turns out that was the same day he suffered his accident and he was in hospital. What was, what was his accident? What happened? And he fell from a balcony. He was trying to, basically his friends were locked out and he volunteered to climb up the outside of the building and get in and fell, uh, which is, wow. yeah, it was pretty tragic. Wow. 
Yeah, so it was hard hitting and impactful, but it was, I guess I had taught, I was a little bit on the superhuman side before that. I'm pretty into any form of strange adventure sports and throwing myself off anything or doing anything. And it was the first time I'd really been in hospital long term. So it was the first time I felt I could, I think you have to be in hospital yourself to really relate to how much it sucks to be in hospital. <laughs> and because his accident happened just after mine, then I, I, I yeah. kind of felt it a lot more. Like people have told me in the past, oh, I've been in hospital. I was like, oh, that's terrible. I'll come over and see you when you get out. Now, if someone's in hospital, I'm like, I'll be there in two minutes because uh, you really feel it a lot more. But I think you have to be in those shoes. Now, obviously, my severity was nowhere near his, but a week in hospital is enough time to realize that you probably should spend more time in life with people in hospital. That's interesting. I haven't thought about it that way. I, I am curious then, okay, so that horrific accident happens and then you're sort of put in this position. You guys come up with this uh, great, maybe not so great idea at the time from your perspective of, uh, Hey, we're going to do this fundraiser. And then, you know, you're, you're now stuck with this, this deal, but okay. So I read your book and one of the thoughts that I had was, you know, is that, is that really how it happened? Was it, uh, was it like, Hey, it was very, very intentional. You know, I think that, uh, comedians are, uh, you know, comedians are are probably the people that are getting the most experience doing this public speaking thing, and you know, along the whole line of ten thousand hours. Or was it much more of a progression? Did you just like wake up and you're like, oh my goodness, I know comedians are. You know, that's that's where it's at. Or was it? Uh, no, did it happen it was, more organically. Yeah, I, I guess it was always a thought that was in the back of my mind. I've been to so many comedy shows, and I've thought, you know what, I have a story like that. He's just telling it better me or something like, you know, when you go to a comedy show or a storytelling night, it triggers all these memories in your own mind that you might have forgot about. And I think people always have this belief or a lot of people certainly that I'm not funny, like the comedian's funny, but I'm not funny. And I guess my belief that everybody is funny in their own way, just a lot of them don't know how to effectively communicate it like a comedian. And I knew a couple of comedians actually that I'd met over the years and they were not funny off stage whatsoever. And I was like, how did this guy become a comedian? He, how does I don't this- happen yeah i don't even want to hang out with him off stage like he's boring the pants off me and then he gets on stage and he's unbelievably crushing it for up to 40 minutes and i guess my curiosity was always peaked and i guess it was the fact that i felt i had these stories within me to tell that were funny and engaging and i just hadn't got the the bravery to put myself on stage and do it like there was no way i was ever going to take a leap so i guess it was something that was milling around in the back of my head and this just gave me the motivation and catalyst to go and do it and be like all right we're getting over this uh, and let's just test it. Has, has it been that way for other times in your life too, where you know, getting over something that you wouldn't normally do otherwise has been because of some other type of external catalyst, or or have you found for you that you know there's other times where you've just been able to say, yeah, I'm doing this. I don't care what the rest of the world is. How, how's that been for you? No, I, to be honest, I think I have to get dragged and kicking and screaming into anything new. So I mean anything, even like learning to ski or snowboard. I was like, I don't want to do that. It's cold out there. It's covered in snow. I'm Irish. We don't do that kind of stuff. Uh, same in Australia. Like, come on, Dave, how are we going? Wakeboarding, mate. And I was like, oh, no, I'm Irish. We don't do wakeboarding. And these are things that people like pretty much made me learn. Uh, and I loved them. They became like huge passions in my life from kite surfing to wakeboarding to snowboarding and all those kind of sports. None of them I wanted to voluntarily do. I lived in Montreal over winter for six months and I went skiing once and vowed to never do it again. <laughs> 
So yeah, honestly, I, I get dragged kicking and screaming into things. And the thing is, the more you do it, the more it becomes uh, second nature just to kind of accept the challenge. But uh, with everything, I've got over it pretty easily. The, stand, the, the fear of public speaking, that was, that was a whole other level. That was pretty much the only big fear I had. That's interesting, though, just, and I haven't really thought about it exactly like that, but that's where a lot of our listeners are in their, uh, they're kind of in that place where normally they have to get dragged kicking and screaming. To, to some degree, not a, not everybody, but I mean, a, a lot of. <laughs> I'm going to alienate my whole listening population here, but yeah, I mean, it, it, I think that's kind of the natural and normal tendency. I think it's a little bit more weird where you've got the person that's like, oh yeah, no problem, jump, yeah, on. jump right I, Yeah, exactly. And I, I think the average person's like, no, I don't want to do that. And if you have a really cool, good circle of friends, they'll be like, shut up, you're doing it, let's go. Yeah. And, and they, they put the procedures in place to do that. So I think that's why we have a whole market that exists for coaches to support people along the way. If you don't, if you're not lucky enough, and a lot of people aren't, to have a very cool, supportive group of friends who really push you into new experiences that seem scary at the start, I think that's where your whole coaching market exists because some people do need that person to give them a kick to do it. And, and I certainly was one of those, although I never made it to having a coach. I was lucky enough I could rely on my friends. So are you saying that uh, that is a way to pay for friends or uh, is, is that <laughs> no, not how yeah. it should be? <laughs> no, yeah, don't pay for the friend. But you know, it's it's it's. I think we all in life, we need someone to give us a little bit yeah. of a kick. For me, we were planning on starting a business actually before I would. I did call Career Republic, which kind of profiled people who were living a little bit differently, very like your own, your own worker, people that had gone down the road with their own ventures and earning a certain salary. And we wanted to profile them. And it was down to me to interview these guys. And I did not want to be on camera. I did not want to be recorded the, the fear of public speaking certainly went over to all those things so i had that extra incentive that i'd kind of missed a, an opportunity career-wise that we'd put some effort to, in, into a startup that kind of fell apart when I, at the end of the day because i had a fear of public speaking let me cut back in here for a second i want you to meet tracy i'm tracy and i'm from san diego i am a microbiology lab supervisor at a medical device and diagnostics company here in town before Tracy found our eight-day figure-it-out course, here's what life was like for her. I was drowning in debt and seriously struggling to find a way out of it. I've got student loans <laughs> from the late 90s that I'm trying to pay down as well as a car loan. Okay, now you might be thinking, what does debt have to do with Tracy's career? And what does any of this have to do with this eight-day figure-it-out course? And this course really helped me to gain a lot of clarity around what was important to me and help me to see possibilities beyond my current situation. So with that, I've actually started a small virtual assistant business on the side, and I have been able to seriously accelerate my debt repayment plan. I will be completely debt-free in just over two years from now. Wow. Congratulations, Tracy. We love hearing stories just like that one. Now, if you want that type of clarity that can help you move forward in your life, here's what you can do. Just text HTYC to 38470, HTYC to 38470, or just visit figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. So let's talk about public speaking a little bit. Because yeah. Real it's, fun it's, topic. <laughs> it's one you've got something to say about, right? Yeah, no, I definitely have. Publicly. Um, publicly now publicly. yeah without, without the shaking bit of paper and drawing like as if i'm doing artistic figures on my face with a microphone i've certainly got a lot healthier they're all the kind of nervous things i was doing at the start so what first of all 
like let's let's help people understand just how bad this was for you. Like what's 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 the story that one of your Irish friends who'd been around for a while would tell that Oh, they they have a lot of stories to tell. I, we should get the I should have called see if I were really thinking I would have called one of them and be like, and now we have <laughs> Yeah. Do you know what Surprise. I did? I I'd forgotten. As memory will do, we forgot sometimes just how painful something is. So when I sat down to write the book, I emailed all my college friends and I asked them to write me stories of just really stupid things I did uh, during presentations. But yeah, I think the one time that stood out the most was when I tried and insisted everybody drink a couple of bottles of corona before doing a college presentation. And mildly intoxicated, I proceeded <laughs> to do mine. Uh, my choice of wording within that might have not been the most politically correct you'll ever come across. And they swearing like a sailor, I think, was one of the words one of my friends used. And I, I did that a lot. I was I was so nervous. I just literally had no way of dealing with it. Um, and it, it happened a lot. Okay, so maybe maybe somebody who's listened to this isn't you know isn't quite at the point where they are, um, you know. <laughs> going out and buying bottles of Patron or something else or Crown Royal or something like that in order to get up in front of a bunch of folks and swear like a sailor, but maybe they're pretty nervous. Yep. Like, uh, where on earth do you start? And where did you start? Yeah, I think you start by mining your own life experiences and realizing that you have funny stuff you have material to draw into and that material can be linked to business topics even though you think it can't and it's just consciously seeing funny things around you in the world which you're going to see every day if it makes you laugh it can make other people laugh and then it's just figuring out how best to communicate that and if you stick with your own stories within a presentation people are naturally wired to appreciate and want to listen to your story as opposed to if you give them opinion within if you present an opinion in a, any form of public speaking 50 50% of the audience pretty much are naturally inclined to argue that opinion. So you lose some of the crowd already. Whereas if you tell a story that illustrates the same point, um, one, it's going to be more memorable, and two, people aren't going to take an argumentative stance, and they can draw their own conclusion from the story, so they can see themselves within the story. And so I think the best port of call and what we do when we're training companies and training people is we always just get them to submit stories in their shortest form. So make a bullet list of stories on your smartphone or write them down and just keep adding to that over a period of time. And every time you publicly speak, go back and mine into that list of stories. So that's something that I actually started doing after I read your book. Ah, cool. So there you go. Has it worked out? You know, it really has actually. So what what's happened for me and and you you know I'll, you can send me the check later for the testimonial and stuff, but <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, but really, what's happened for me is now I start paying attention to stuff when it happens, and I'm like, oh, that would make a great story. Once I get to you know for whatever, whether it be you know public speaking type type capacity, or now I'm always looking for stories as we're making more and more courses. I'm always looking for stories that are really relevant and help people relate to it, and and. Yeah, that way it's interesting, engaging, and not just material and content. So for me, now I've actually started actively paying attention to it. I've got uh, an ever, well, I pop stuff into Evernote mostly. And then now I can go back and draw from it. So, so thank you, by the way. Yeah, no worries. And, and to be honest, that's all comedians do. That's what storytellers do. They literally see the same things everybody else does, but they really write them down in the moment. They'll be like, wait, wait, stop. I have to take a note of this. And that's exactly what they will do. Um, and now it's just a matter of taking that story and rewriting it in its shortest, most entertaining form. 
And if you do that for the public speaking side of life, you get you identify the key funny part to the story and you strip out as many words to get there as you can. And that's what stand-up comedians are forced to do because they don't have the world's most supportive audience. You know, it's a guy that's <laughs> depressed who just lost his job, is drinking a beer, looking at you and be like, make me laugh, uh, which is not the most supportive group of people sometimes. So comedians realize if they give three or four lines in a story with no funny element and uh, that they've lost a crowd. And to be honest, modern day speaking is pretty much becoming the same thing, even in a business context that you have about 30 seconds to make a good impression or you're out of there. Your talk might only be 10 minutes in its entirety, you know, 18, 19 if it's in line with TED Talks. But it's not a long period of time to fit in a, a lot of information. Um, and just being concise and forcing yourself to realize that brevity is levity, and that's the key to what these comedians do. You can rework the existing set of stories to really come across like funny, effective stories that are not far off how a stand-up comedian would do them. And I think nearly in all the top 10 most viewed TED Talks at the moment, that's what you're seeing very, very much repetitively within them. So it's almost like, and my thought was, is you were talking a little bit about that in... Um, in your book, by the way, we haven't even talked about the name of the book. We should probably, you know, throw that out. Oh, yeah. Do you talk too. funny? Yeah. Just so yeah. people can stop everything and go and buy it right now. Yeah. Big I, money. I, I heard you like pressing pause. <laughs> yeah. I think it's like three ninety nine at the moment. I sold it to a publisher, so I'm pretty sure it won't be that cheap for that long anymore. <laughs> Get it now. Well, yeah. Anyhow, though, I, you know, I think that, never mind. I lost it. It was, it was going to be really good, what I was going to say, but... <laughs> I lost it in the pause. Delayed profound wisdom. We'll come to you later. It'll come back later. Don't worry. It will. But honestly, if you just break down and you apply that to your talk in the same structure of a comedian would do. So you take the key funny part of your story, strip out everything else, and just use an introduction that relate that story to as many people as possible. And don't put it forward as an opinion. Put it forward as just a way to introduce the story. Now, you have a way of really forging strong connections with people, but also being more memorable. Because uh, people will remember how you made them feel and they will recall that story. And our brain finds it impossible to recall a series of facts that are just sprayed at us when the stage, especially when every other speaker is doing the same thing. It seems to me that companies would benefit and people would benefit if this were integrated into training because there's training for everything in all kinds of different companies. And it's just, it struck me that most training is so terribly boring. It, <laughs> Agreed. It's horrific. It's horrific. And yet, so it, it baffles me, um, and not to get too far down this bunny trail, but you know, it just absolutely baffles me that yeah, there's so many organizations that are like, well, we want you to know this and we need you to know this, but we're going to make it the most boring way possible. Yeah, and I think it's something, you know, sometimes we're all guilty of that. If you have a bunch of information in your head you really want to get out on paper, yeah. you put it down and you build it into a course, you feel actually drained when you get all that information. I mean, the last thing you want to do is reread it and try and make it a bit more lighthearted and entertaining. Sure. The easy thing to do is just publish it and go, oh, it's cool, there's great information in there, I'll put it out. But thing is, modern-day audience in any form, whether it's training or just consuming content you produce online, they're very much trained these days to get information with a level of entertainment built into it. Um, and these companies that do training programs, they have very low engagement and completion rates, like typically under about 10%. So ironically, we've actually started working on that with a number of companies and, and we price it on engagement. So we'll basically say, we'll take our comedy writers, we'll add some humor points to your training and don't pay us or only pay us proportionally based to how much we can increase your engagement rates by doing that. And it, it certainly proved to be the case. They've, they've seen increased engagement rates. 
So now that you've been doing, um, you know, listening to you talk about this and I was just thinking now you've been doing this for a little while and you know, now you have a, you've got a conference, a regular recurring conference that, uh, that is built around, you know, making public speaking entertaining as I understand it. Yeah, we, well, we basically bring together leading content and marketers and creative directors, and we get them to share with people how they've made content funnier. Um, so it's not really public speaking. I don't think we had any speakers on public speaking. It was all guys from top startups, basically, or, or top companies like Lyft and Airbnb that just happened to have a sneaky background in improv or stand-up comedy. So they're really, uh-huh. really, they're really good on stage. So we had 12 TED-level speakers that are all hilarious. Um, which is very different to your average conference. At least the woods I've been to didn't normally bore the pants off me. <laughs> it's usually like the expert in one particular area, but is not a particularly engaging speaker per se. Yeah, we'll- exactly. And when we don't put anyone on stage who's not engaging. So it's kind of cool to produce that because you see the audience going like, oh, I'll nip out when there's a boring speaker and then there's no boring speaker and they're just there all day. Um, so it's funny. So now that you've been doing this for a while then, what what is it that you see that are some of the most common mistakes with people really getting started in in public speaking other than you know we just covered off a couple of them right like you you mentioned that hey you know you need to be collecting stories you need to be integrating stories but what else yeah. what else yeah i think not integrating stories i think a mistake people make a lot is to not give the mc who introduces them a very strong introduction that he reads off so you don't have to sell yourself when you get on stage. So, if, you know, if you supply an introduction that's well-crafted and well-written that says where you've been featured, the work that you've produced, and why they should listen to you, what a lot of speakers do is they leave that to chance and they get on stage and then they start with a kind of self-promotional bit of 30 seconds and you've generally lost the audience. And then they say, oh, now I'm going to tell you a story. Well, why say those words? Oh, I'm happy to be here. Oh, it's my first time here. So it's, it's cutting those words and getting into the meat of it really, really quickly. Like start in the action, start with a story get the introduction done by the MC. And I think another really common mistake is to finish on Q&A. A lot of people do that. And it, it, it's, you know, you're like, any other questions out there? Nobody, maybe somebody. And the MC is kind of looking around and it gets kind of awkward. And, and people nobody don't. <laughs> yeah, nobody has any. Or one has them and the, the camera is rolling. They don't know really when it's finished. The speaker doesn't know when it's finished. He kind of walks off stage to a muted applause. And I think if, if you really want to do two things powerfully that are really easy and really quick to change in your speaking, supply that introduction um, and get off to the best start possible. Don't be self-promotional in those first 30 seconds and tell a story. And you're, the really aim of that story is a popularity contest and you want people to pay attention to you and to like you during that story. And don't finish on a Q&A. Make sure you save a summary slide to the end of your talk. Let the audience know that, that you're going to take a couple of questions before you make your conclusion. That way you're limiting the amount of questions they'll likely ask. And then you basically take three or four main takeaways from your talk and that becomes your conclusion slide. And that way people know that you're finished and you say, thank you. And you're going to get the strongest applause and everybody knows it's over, but you'll go out with a much higher feeling of energy and you get to remind them of the key takeaways when you're talk from your talk. A lot of the time get that gets lost in the Q and a. Here's the thing I love about that though. I mean, you're talking about it in, in the context of, you know, being on a stage speaking in front of people, but really I think those same things could be applied to any place. I mean, if you're going to make a business presentation, regardless of whether it's your own business or it's your, it's your job, and there's always somebody who is providing that introduction. 
I mean, <laughs> there's always opportunity to be able to guide that introduction to some degree. And if people just totally miss that opportunity. I've missed that opportunity for years. Yeah, and the thing is MCs are nervous a lot of the time as well. A lot of the times they are the event planner or they're the person that brought you into the company. You know, they were them. they were busy doing other things. It totally helps them. You just hand them a card and the very last words on the card are your name. And the only time your name should be mentioned in that introduction are the very last two words on the card. And that way people know to give you the biggest round of applause because they know now you're coming out. And it's another common mistake people make when they're introducing people. But yeah, the, the same things apply in, in everyday forms of communication, especially in pitching, like you said, or making a sales presentation. Don't start with the numbers. The numbers are the icing on the cake. What you want to start with is illustrate a story of a customer whose pain point you solved. And if you want to find the humor within that, what's life like for that customer if your product doesn't exist? Like what painful things are they going through? And find somebody and, and tell that story at the start of how does a problem and how you've solved it and the difference it makes in one person's life. And they'll say, hey, it's not just one person, it's many people. We've actually sold this product to X amount of people. These are our growth numbers. This is what we've done. But what a lot of entrepreneurs tend to do, and I was guilty of this myself, was you start off with the facts and the figures and the potential market size. And, and if everybody else does the same thing, well, then you don't stand out. Like It's very, very hard to recall just a series of facts and figures a couple of days later. It's very easy to recall a story that illustrates the pain point that your product solves or addresses. And if your product or whatever you're promoting or your business doesn't address a pain point, well, then you probably shouldn't have the business in the first place. That's kind of the key metric. And that story will stick with people. It will stick with people you pitch to. It will stick with investors. And you can get better and better at telling it. That is interesting. You're making me think of some stories where, <laughs> where you know, I've seen people do that well, but the vast majority of people just just don't. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the clock here because 45 minutes has just flown by. Um, there's a whole bunch of things I wanted to get into. I'm not sure where that we're going to have time for David. Uh, but two, two things I wanted to ask. One is, you know, as before we wrap up, where, where can people find out more about you? If they're interested in your conferences, they're interested in getting the book before it goes off to the publisher and the price raises and everything else along those lines and putting something <laughs> back in your piggy bank, then you know, how, how can they do that? Sure. Well, I have a, a free 50 tips guide that is a good quick way um, on public speaking. If you want to just digest the core concepts, you can get that totally by free by going to seven. That's the number seven comedyhabits.com. And there's also a number of articles around there just focused on public speaking. The conference and a number of other helpful articles around integrating humor in business can be found at funnybiz. That's got two Zs dot co. So funnybiz.co. But yeah, there's some great stuff you can action straight away available. And, and the book is Do You Talk Funny? That's available on Amazon. I absolutely loved that conversation with David Nighill. He is amazingly funny, talented, and entertaining, and just I, I, I've learned a ton from this guy about stories from both his book and interacting with him. It's it's pretty amazing, and I want you to be able to do some of the same things too. Because no matter what you are doing, whether your your pursuit and the reason you're listening to this podcast is because you're after work that fits you, and whether that is a job or it's a business or it is anything that's in between or combination of both, then you know what? You've got to use this stuff. You will 
make more money this way. You will build more relationships. You will get more opportunities. You've got to be able to use this stuff. I hate when people tell you that uh, that you should, but uh, well, I guess ultimately you get to decide, right? So we've also got some other links for you because we didn't get to talk about the whole, we didn't even really get to talk about delving into writing a book and how that works or anything else. And I know we've got some people that are HTYCers that really are interested in that type of thing too. So David sent us over, you know, this is this is how much value this guy adds. Uh, he sent us over a whole bunch of links afterwards um, that you can go check out too. So you can find those in the show notes. You know that by now. Go to happen to your career.com slash 85. That's happen to your career.com slash 85 right now and find those links in the show notes. Specifically, what you're going to get is he sent over an article on on book creation. And there's actually a um you know, how to turn your Prezi into a bestseller. And there is also seven comedy habits. He's got free uh, 50 tips, a guide. And then yeah, those are those two are well worth taking the time to, to visit. And you can find out more about David Nihill right where I said before, happenyourcareer.com slash 85. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate you being here with us, with me, and taking the time, whatever you're doing, whatever you you know you do while you listen to the show, whether it's driving down the road on your commute, whether it is while you are at work, whether it is, you know, just hanging around, I don't know, loading dishes in the dishwasher to the kitchen or, you know, whatever it happens to be, working out. That I appreciate you taking us with you. I also appreciate all of the five-star ratings and reviews on Stitcher and on iTunes. These are amazing. When you do this, it causes our podcast to grow, which causes us to be able to help out more people. So thank you so much for taking just 60 seconds out of your day. That has made a world of difference because guess what? We have literally almost doubled in size over the last three months which is just downright amazing. We already have listeners in well over a hundred countries and you know we we're we're on track to be able to in the course of the next 30 days compared to three months ago uh, literally double the number of listeners that we have, which is awesome. So thank you. Thank you for allowing us to grow. Thank you for allowing uh, us to be able to reach even more people because guess what? The more that we do that, the better we're going to be able to serve you too. So that is awesome. And I appreciate it. And I just want to say thanks. And special thanks to Connor D from Indiana. He said on iTunes, Scott has a great podcast that makes you reflect and think about your career. But what's more important is that he makes you take action. If you made it this far, you're curious about your career path. So download an episode, sit back and get ready to really question your career path so that you can reach your goals. Thanks again, Connor. Hey, really appreciate it. And I I got the email from you. So really appreciate that too. And with that, thanks again. And I am out. Here's a sneak peek into the next episode of the Happen to Your Career podcast. You know, when someone would pop in my office and say, hey, can you do this at the last minute? Or can you help me, you know, solve this particularly complex issue? And I'd be completely fine and able to handle it. And I think I was still giving a good level of service, but 
you know, outwardly I would smile at the folks who popped into my office or called me on the phone. And then when they left, I would like be rolling my eyes going, are you serious? Like we just talked about this. Do you really need my help? And that's not the first thing that you want to think when your job is to, you know, guide people through, through legal challenges. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's insane. I gave a talk last night and someone was looking at me just going, they're like, okay, that's great. I didn't understand any of that. Could you just start again? <laughs> oh, that cracks me up. See, I don't, I don't really have a problem with the Irish accent, but I guess if I think about it, like I have a really hard time understanding like a uh, Chinese accent. I, I don't know why, but yeah, I don't know why Chinese. You and me but... both. I lived there for a year. It was one of the most confusing years I've ever had. <laughs> Um, um, you should hear my accent in Chinese that's where it really gets confusing okay that would be that would that yeah, would be like, <laughs> you're like oh god what does that sound like some mad Irish guy trying to speak Chinese but yeah I did classes for two hours a day for about six months really yeah when, when were you in totally, China totally pointless uh, 2011 for a year So it was cool. Awesome. Yeah, it was nice. So it was three of us Irish guys banded together pretty quickly. So we just started taking over and renamed it the Irish Domination. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. is hilarious. And yeah, I could totally funny. see that happening. Yeah, I tagged Chris in a photo. I was like, Chris O'Gillenboo importing Irish people to Portland since 2011. <laughs> uh, and we just had a photo of like, three Irish dudes there and hashtag Irish Domination Summit. Do, do you know... Uh, Benny Lewis, who was in his book Yeah, then? no, it was me, Benny, and another guy who, Ray Lewis, who's behind a company called Map to Mind. So we were the three Irish guys that were there. Ah, the Benny's Irish actually going to be down in the Bay Area here for the next two months. Very cool. And is that is that where your home is? Uh, it is the at the moment? moment, yeah. yeah. Awesome. 